Well, there is an aged proverb that goes like this. A life that's all wrapped up in itself makes a very small package. Probably heard that before, right? It's true. Uh, Pride is like a poison which, when it gets into your system, causes our heads to swell and our hearts to shrink. And none of us have built up an immunity um, that guarantees that we will never be affected. Everyone, everywhere is a target of pride. I've heard of plenty of incidents which prove that. For example, people can develop a sense of pride even about what part of the country they're from. I heard about a woman who happened to be in a plane with a Texan flying across the country. Anybody here from Texas, by the way? (laughs) And he was talking about the great state of Texas and this woman who was from Alaska was seated across the aisle and she overheard his boasts and so she leaned over and she said, oh, you're from Texas, are you? And he said, yes, I am. Well, you know, I'm from a great state too, she said. He said, is that right? Where are you from? She said, I'm from the largest state in the union. And he said, really, where are you from? And she replied, I'm from Alaska. And did you know that we've been thinking about dividing our state in half and then Texas would come in third? That's absolutely true, you know. I never realized that Alaska was that big, but that's a true statement. Having spent a little time in Texas and hearing about some of the experiences that go on there, it seems that you have to go a long way to beat the pride of of a Texan, because everything is big in Texas, right? Including some of the egos. And for instance, I once heard about a Texan who was eating in a local cafe, and he was waxing eloquent about the great state from which he had come, how it had the most beautiful women, had the biggest buildings and the biggest corporations and the best football teams and more money than any other state and the greatest oil and on and on and on. He just went on and the people who were eating lunch, they were having a hard time swallowing this stuff. By the way, did you ever notice that pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody sick except the one who has it? Anyway, this guy was driving them all crazy. And so they called the proprietor over and they said, hey, could you take care of this guy? He's driving us nuts. Could you do something to get him to, like, shut up? And he said, well, I I don't know what I can do, but let me try. And he thought for a minute. And when he went went out in the back in the kitchen to get the man a coffee, and he put some knockout drops in it. And he came back and the guy drank the coffee and it wasn't five minutes before the guy passed out on the floor. And at that point, they didn't quite know what to do with him. The proprietor, being somewhat of a practical joker, came up with a wonderful idea. He gathered up some of his buddies, put the guy in a pickup truck and uh, drove him out to the nearest cemetery. And on the way there, they stopped at a funeral home run by a friend of theirs and borrowed a coffin. And they put the guy in the coffin, and as luck would have it, there in the cemetery was a freshly dug open grave. And so they dropped him in, and they headed back to town. About an hour later, the drops wore off, and the guy woke up. And of course, he had no idea where in the world that he was, so he tried to see around him, but it was dark. And so he instinctively pushed his hands up, came out of the casket, looked around, and he couldn't see anything because his head wasn't above the ground. And so he got up the courage and pulled himself up, and he surveyed all around the landscape, and all he could see around him was tombstones. So he paused for a minute, and they started jumping up and down, shouting, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. It's resurrection morning, and the Texans have risen first. Have risen first. Pride can blind us, can it? Of course, that kind of pride can be quite harmless. But there's another kind of pride that is toxic to our souls. It's the kind of pride that subtly invades our hearts. It infiltrates our spiritual bloodstreams and anesthetizes our faith. It's a pride that we never thought that we would fall prey to And it acts upon us ever so slowly over a long period of time like a slow-working poison that lulls us to sleep and eventually destroys us from the inside out. It's a kind of pride that comes from too many external accomplishments and not enough internal character. 
And it often happens when we attach more importance to the temporal and not enough to the eternal. And it comes from forgetting that true success in life has a lot more to do with who we are than it does with what we achieve. It occurs when we begin to give more priority to what we want to do in life than what God wants to do in us. 3,000 years ago, it came to a king who ruled over Judah. The king's name was Uzziah. Even though Uzziah lived in a completely different time, and although he ruled over a totally different culture, his personal profile could blend very easily into our own day. Uzziah was successful. He was powerful. He was a shaker and a mover, an innovator. And on top of all of that, from what we can tell, he was a believer in the Lord. He was, even by contemporary standards, a successful leader. That is, until a few drops of poisonous pride slipped into his coffee and basically knocked him out of the picture. Not just for an hour, mind you, but for the rest of his life. Uzziah learned the hard way that the poison of pride can paralyze our faith. And that message never grows too old, does it? Now, I know last week I mentioned, I'm going to start Jonah. Yes, well, Jonah's still on the ship to Tarshish. And um, we'll get there. Promise, I promise you. But interesting thing, uh, in our Bible study on Monday nights, we are um, going through First and Second Kings, and uh, it ran across an interesting king that uh, I have studied in times past, and it just reminded me, and interestingly enough, too, that this king was the king that was ruling over the southern kingdom of Judah when Jonah was called to prophesy to Nineveh. So we're in the t- same time frame, and this right here will give you kind of a sketch as to what's going on in the southern part of the kingdom when Jonah was called to preach to a pagan nation. So I'd like you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, if you would. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And um, we're going to look at verses 1 to 23 here, or at least part of them this morning, if not all of them. A few years ago, I preached a message on an incredibly evil Old Testament king by the name of Manasseh. And although he started out lousy in his reign for the bulk of his 55-year reign, 55 years. Can you imagine a president for 55 years? He was a king for 55 years, and it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he ended up, however, finishing strong at the end. Amazing. Manasseh was an incredibly evil king who reigned the longest of any king in Judah. Yet at the end of his life, he found God's grace through repentance and faith and finished the race strong. Today, we're going to study King Uzziah, Manasseh's predecessor, and we're going to see the exact opposite scenario. Here is a man who was the second longest ruling king in Judah. Second only to Manasseh. And he started out incredibly strong, ran well for most of his career, but ended completely out of the race altogether. He blasted out of the starting blocks like a rocket, sprinted for three quarters of the race, got a little cocky because he was so far out in front of the pack, and collapsed, crawling across the finish line in humiliation and utter shame. Manasseh and Uzziah, both of them, they emphatically underscore the familiar words that it is better to grow in grace than to groan in disgrace. You see, for Manasseh, it was the power of humility that enabled him to grow. For Uzziah, it was the poison of pride that caused him to groan. It paralyzed him. And left unchecked, it will do the same thing to you and to me. Let's take a minute to pray. Father, we come to you humbly. 
We recognize the threat of pride in our lives. How easily it can slip in and make us think things that we never thought we would think and do things that we never thought we would do. And that is the case this morning as we turn to your word. And I pray, our Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would take these principles that we're about to look at today and apply them to our hearts and our minds and our lives in such a way that we would not make the same mistakes that Uzziah did. For I ask it in the precious name of your Son, who is meek and humble, and in whom we place our faith and gain our rest. In Jesus' name, amen. First off, pride will paralyze your spiritual potential. Look at the first five verses, if you would, of Second Chronicles 26. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. And he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. And Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. God prospered him. Uzziah had promise, and everyone knew it. When he was just a teenager, he was elevated to the position of leadership. A comparative study of scripture seems to indicate that Uzziah co-reigned with his father for 23 years until his father died, and then he reigned alone for another 29 years. And as I said, he was the second longest reigning king in Judah's history, 52 years. Right out of the chute, right out of the blocks, he established his leadership potential. In verse 2, we read that. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Right again, he had all the potential in the world to be the best king that Judah ever saw, ever saw. Because why? Verses 4 and 5 again. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding and vision. And as long as he sought the Lord... God prospered him. He had all these makings of success, and that's just what most of us want, isn't it? We want to be successful, don't we? America is intoxicated with a success syndrome. We want to make our mark in life. We want to be the best at something, anything, as long as we're it. We want to be personally satisfied, publicly certified, and financially fortified. That's a great outline, isn't it? Personally satisfied, publicly certified, financially fortified. But what we truly need is to be spiritually sanctified. Everyone wants to be a success in the world, but very few of us seem to be interested in being a success with God. And that worldly idea of success is what paralyzes our spiritual potential. Tony Campolo identifies worldly success like this. Success is a shining city, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We dream of it as children. We strive for it through our adult lives and we suffer melancholy at old age if we have not reached it. For success is a place of happiness. And the anxieties we suffer at the thought of not arriving there gives us ulcers, heart attacks, and nervous disorders. If our reach exceeds our grasp and we fail to achieve what we want, life seems meaningless and we feel emotionally dead in our culture. Unquote. God's word, however, defines real success and the pursuit of it in a whole different way, doesn't he? And Uzziah in the early years had a handle on that. Again, look at verse 5. And let it burn into your mind and into your heart. He continued to seek God. And then at the end, 
as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. True success happens when we seek the Lord with an undivided heart and let him bestow the blessings on us. Amen? The world says that if you're successful, you're going to have status. You'll have power. You'll have prestige. You'll have privilege, popularity, prosperity. And we buy that junk. Oh, how we buy that junk. I get letters every year that read something like this, and I'm sure you get them too. Because of your excellent credit history, we have pre-approved your application for a platinum card. Now you can have all the advantages and prestige of whipping out a little piece of platinum colored plastic, knowing that when you flash it around, it screams success. It's not enough to have a regular colored card. You've got to have a platinum card. Or worse, I did a little research on the world's most prestigious credit cards. You ever done that? Pretty eye-opening. Here are six of the most exclusive and elite cards used by wealthy people. J.P. Morgan Chase Palladium Visa Card. One of the most impressive ones you'll see. It's made of actual palladium and gold. Etched with the cardholder's information and account number right on the card. Number two. It's called the Citigroup Chairman Card. It has a $300,000 credit limit on it. It's also got the highest annual fee. The American Express Centurion Card, also known as the American Express Black Card. It's an invite-only card associated with no credit limit. Currently, there's a $7,500 initiation fee that you have to pay and an annual fee of $2,500. In order to qualify, a holder of the also prestigious American Express Platinum Card, you would need to have charged $250,000 or more in the previous year to qualify holding that card. <laughs> then there's the Stratus Rewards Visa, also known as the White Card. There's the White Card, and the Black Card, and the Gold Card, and the Palladium Card. I love this one. It's the Coots World Silk Card. Ever heard of that one? While Americans may not be familiar with the Coots Bank, it's known in the UK as the Bank of the Royal Family. The Coots World Silk Card is therefore suitably exclusive and rare. To be invited to carry this card, an individual must have at least, get this, $1 million in the Coots Bank account. And finally... There's the Bank of Dubai First Royale MasterCard. Undoubtedly the most ostentatious of all prestige cards and one of the most elite credit cards in the entire world. This card is trimmed in pure gold with a diamond set in its center and comes with no preset spending limit. Now, the world says that an elite card means status and prestige. The truth says that any card means serious debt. <laughs> With a flash of any of those cards, I can go from zero to bankruptcy in about three seconds flat. They don't tell you that when you apply for them. But that's not what the Bible says is true success, is it? It's not about platinum, palladium, diamond, or pure gold, black, white. Biblical success is about a pure heart. Real prosperity is the result of the work of God in the life of one who seeks after God with all of their heart. Psalm 1, verse 3. What does it say? That the person who seeks after God will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. Genesis 39, just as a reminder, Joseph was successful and prosperous. You remember his life got thrown in prison, forgotten about. Joseph 
uh, in Genesis 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. And then in verse 23, after he was thrown into prison for something he didn't even do, says the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. See, Charles Malick said that success is neither fame, wealth, nor power. Rather, it was seeking, knocking, loving, and obeying God. If you seek, you will know. If you know, you will love. If you love, you will obey. True prosperity comes only from God. And as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, it says in verse 5 of 2 Chronicles 26, he prospered him. He had incredible potential, but pride would eventually paralyze it. Number two, pride will also paralyze your spiritual power. Follow along with me. And as we read down through this, you're going to find an incredible resume of Uzziah. By anyone's standards, we would say that Uzziah was a success. Verse 6. Now we went out and warred against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal and the Munites. The Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah, and his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, and the valley gate, and at the corner buttress, and fortified them. He built towers in the wilderness, and hewed many cisterns, for he had much livestock, both in the lowland and in the plain. He also had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country, in the fertile fields, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which entered combat by divisions according to the number of their muster, prepared by Jeiel, the scribe, and Maaseiah, the official, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. The total number of the heads of the households of valiant warriors was 2,600, and under their direction was an elite army of 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields and spears and helmets and body armor, bows and sling stones. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence, his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. That's one incredible resume, isn't it? We'd say he was a success, in, even in, according to today's standards. God surely prospered him in the prime years of his life. He had good counsel. Zechariah was mentoring him spiritually, and God was blessing Uzziah in every way. He was on an upward trajectory that any modern leader would envy today. Let me give you some of the list here, just summarizing it, what he had. Number one, he had an economic plan that ensured a balanced budget. In verse 2, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah. Eloth was a strategic naval base and copper smelting center, a key city critical to the economic stability of Judah. Uzziah had nailed that city down, first and foremost. So he had an economic plan. He, had, he was an able general. In verses 6 and 7, we just read that. He conquered cities, rebuilt them, made them strongholds for Judah. And all the while, verse 7 says that God helped him. That's a key reminder right there. God helped him. Thirdly, he was high on the public opinion polls in verse 8. He was clearly a political favorite among the nations. He was a household name in foreign policy, unlike what is happening in leadership today. He was high on the public opinion polls. Can you imagine? When does that ever happen around here? He had a crime bill that worked in verse 9. 
Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate in the valley gate and the corner buttress and fortified them. He had a vision for safe streets in the city and he protected them from the enemy throughout various building projects. Not only did he protect the cities, but he provided for the country folk as well. He was a farmer's hero, according to verse 10. He built towers in the wilderness and hewed many cisterns, for he had much livestock. He undertook massive agricultural projects to keep the nation well-fed and the farmers well-equipped. He was an incredible administrator who made the nation self-sufficient. He had vision, he had know-how, he had leadership written all over him, and the nation prospered under his hand. And he was also, according to verses 11 through 15, a military genius. He reorganized, he cut the fat, he streamlined the efficiency, he delegated authority to the right people, and provided an incredible defense budget in order to equip the military with the most up-to-date and state-of-the-art technology and weaponry available. If it wasn't available, he found people to develop and invent it, it says. It's no wonder that as verse 15 concludes, hence his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Are you impressed? I am. This guy had potential. This guy had power. This guy had prestige. He had privilege. What more could you ask for? Make the guy president. Please. Only Solomon accomplished more than Uzziah in all of the history of Israel or the Judah's kings. Why? Very easy, because verse 15 identifies the secret of his success. He was marvelously helped. He was marvelously helped. That word marvelously, by the way, is a great biblical word. It refers to something too wonderful to actually describe. It means incomprehensible. In the Bible, it refers to primarily to acts of God, things unusual, beyond human capabilities. It refers to something miraculous. So Uzziah was a man who experienced miracles in his life, basically. God's hand was on the man. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him a success. God made him strong. He was marvelously helped. But that's precisely when the poison of pride got into his system. As I've heard Chuck Swindoll say on many occasions, you know what this guy's problem was? He started believing his own stuff. His heart was lifted up. We should seriously heed the tongue-in-cheek sign I once saw in a department store mirror that read like this, objects in mirror may appear bigger than they actually are. <laughs> All of this background provides a graphic and tragic picture of one of the greatest falls in Old Testament history. And it all hinges on a five-letter word found in verse 15. One five-letter word. You know what it is? Until. He was marvelously helped. Until. He was strong. That's the scariest little word in the scripture. You know why? Because it usually means that things are going to abruptly change. And change they did because everything that was going so great for Uzziah fell apart. Everything was going great for him until he was strong. At that very point, everything changed and not for the better. Look at verse 16. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. That's a scary follow-up to until, isn't it? Once the poison of pride got into his bloodstream, Uzziah's paralysis began to set in. Pride will paralyze your potential. It will paralyze your power. And unfortunately, it won't stop there. Eventually, if it goes unchecked, pride will paralyze your spiritual position. Verses 16 to 20. Says he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. 
but for the priests, the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah with a censer in his hand for burning incense was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. Here's the place where we ought to get a little nervous because this verse puts me on edge. You know why? Because as one author once said, it's another one of those stories about a man who had everything in the world going for him, but ended up throwing it all in the toilet and heading in another direction. It's like a kind of insanity that hits men and women in the middle part of their life. And it makes me sweat to think about it. Unquote. And it makes me sweat too. And it ought to make you sweat too. Do you ever notice how many guys in the Bible messed it up in the second half of their life? Satan doesn't care how long he has to wait, you know. He'll wait 20, 30, 40, even 50 years to spring the trap. He'll wait until you're in the prime of your life. You've reached your goals. You have a list of great spiritual accomplishments behind you. And then whap. Pride sets in, we start forgetting who got us to where we are, and then we start basking in the achievements themselves instead of the God who gave them to us. That's the pattern all throughout the scripture. That's why God repeatedly calls us to two very important things. Correctives. Number one, seek him. And number two, remember him. First Chronicles chapter 16 1 Chronicles 16. Let me just read to you a few verses. Verses 10 through 12. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done. His marvels and the judgments from his mouth. Verse 15. Remember his covenant forever the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Back in Deuteronomy 6, which I read from this morning at the dedication, we have some very serious warnings there again. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. Moses says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn cisterns which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Good warning. Chapter 8, same book, verse 10. When you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply... And your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies and your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Verse 17. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God says, remember who gives success. Remember. But the first thing we're tempted to do when we become successful is to forget. To forget who put us there. I'm reminding of something Dr. John Maxwell said as he addressed a large gathering of pastors and Christian leaders 
of which I was in attendance at one point in time. And he said that in the Bible there are about 400 leaders profiled, and out of, out of those, only 80 of them finished strong. And he told us there were five things that characterized all of the leaders that finished well. I was, you were there with me, Dan. Here are the five things. Humility, intimacy with God, obedience, faith, and the ability to receive counsel from others. Those five things marked the 80 who finished strong. Uzziah started out with all of those things intact, if you go back and read the text. But as soon as he was poisoned with pride, he turned away from every single one of them. And you can do the comparisons, and they're pretty remarkable. He was a privileged man to have achieved such success, but his pride paralyzed him. And there was one glaring reason why that happened. And it's one that can easily nail every single one of us to the wall. And here it is. His inward character did not keep pace with his outward achievements. His inward character did not keep pace with his outward achievements. So in the course of his busy life, somewhere along the line, he started squeezing God and other believers out of the picture. And as he became more and more prominent in the world, God became less and less preeminent in his life. And that, my friends, can happen to any one of us in this room. And it does happen too often. Warren Wiersbe once observed, if God's put something in my hand without doing something in my heart, my character will lag behind my achievements, and that is the sure way to ruin. You know what happens? You become empty. And you begin to rely more on yourself and less on God. And before you know it, humility flies out the window and intimacy with God disappears. Obedience becomes an option to you. Faith erodes and there's no accountability anymore. You don't receive counsel from others. When you become successful in life, in your spiritual walk, in your marriage, in your job, in your ministry, and you're up on a pedestal, don't ever forget who put you on the pedestal. It's God and God alone. Make Romans 12.3 your meditation this week. Romans 12.3 says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. You know what? Uzziah forgot. It wasn't enough that he was the chief executive officer in Judah. It wasn't enough that he was the commander-in-chief. He wanted to be the pope as well. Verse 16, look at it. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. How arrogant. The Hebrew grammar is interesting here. Literally, it says, the verse says, but after becoming powerful, he lifted his heart until he fell down. Isn't that interesting? The NIV translates it, his pride led to his downfall. The KJV, King James Version says, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. That's what pride does. It wastes you away. It ruins you. It puts you on the scrap pile of uselessness. And C.S. Lewis wrote, for pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. You know, Uzziah should have memorized the words of his forefather, King Solomon, who wrote these words, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. You know the old scripture says pride goes before a fall, right? You know, the only place I know where honor comes before humility is in the dictionary. That's it. How does pride begin to paralyze our position? Well, first of all, in verse 16, it heightens our arrogance. He entered in to burn incense. This is the sin of Uzziah's forefathers. It was in forsaking the temple of the Lord and burning incense to idolatrous altars. 
But Uzziah's sin was almost worse. He intruded into the temple and he attempted to usurp the authority that was not allowed for him. In essence, Uzziah never turned his back on God, but challenged God to his face. God had spoken clearly to Moses, saying that only the priests were to enter the holy place to burn incense on the altar. But that wasn't good enough for Uzziah. He wanted it all. He wanted to be the political big shot and the religious big shot. He wanted to be everything. And the depth of his sin can only be grasped by realizing that there's only one person in history that can occupy all of those positions. You know who that is? It's Jesus. Christ himself qualified to be king and priest. There was a clear distinction between kings and priests in Old Testament Israel. Uh, Uzziah knew it, but he was so enthralled with his high position that he attempted to do what no other king before him had accomplished. And that's what arrogance does. It makes us think higher of ourselves than we ought to think. It makes us expect privileges that we are not allowed. And when we don't get them, we become bitter. And that's what happened to Uzziah. He got angry. He got angry. C.S. Lewis, in his classic work, Mere Christianity, writes in a chapter entitled The Great Sin. He says, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride always means enmity. It is enmity. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Well, that's a pregnant statement, isn't it? As long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Pride not only paralyzes our position by heightening our arrogance, but because it lowers our accountability. Verses 17 and 18. The priest entered in after him. They opposed him. They tried to tell him to get out of there. They told him, get out of the sanctuary. You have been unfaithful. will have no honor before the Lord God. But to no avail. You know what being accountable means? It means being willing to explain your actions. And we all need that discipline, don't we? We need friends who will come alongside of us when we're messing up. Friends who will say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you acting like that? You're heading for trouble. I want to help you. I love you too much to see you crash. I, I love you too much to see you fall apart, to ruin everything that you've accomplished, that God's accomplished through you. We need friends like that, that have our permission to call us on stuff without the fear of repercussion. You have friends like that? John Ortberg tells about a close friend who every time someone in their circle messes up, he pretends the phone rings, he answers it and says, oh, it's the jerk store. They say they're out of you. <laughs> you have a friend that can tell you that? Someone who knows your aisle in the jerk store? You know, that's a safeguard to have people like that. Most of us don't want that, really. We say we do. But when it happens, we get angry. And we blow up. That's what Uzziah did in verse 19. It says he got mad. He was enraged. And while he was enraged, the leprosy broke out on him. You know what pride is beginning to paralyze your position when it heightens our arrogance, when it lowers our accountability, and thirdly, when it fuels your anger. It fuels your anger. If you find yourself getting angry with people who are honestly trying to help you, then you're in danger. You're in danger of being paralyzed by pride. Make yourself accountable. Integrity is the foundation of the Christian's life, but accountability is the cornerstone. Ted Engstrom once described the demise of accountability in our culture like this. He said the way the early church practiced accountability was that they confessed their sins to one another. The Roman Catholics came along and said, confess your sins to a priest. And later the Protestant church came along and said, confess your sins to God. And then along came Freud and said, there are no sins to confess. 
pride paralyzes our sensitivity to sin. Listen, I need you to help keep me on track. You need me. We need each other. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in an evil with an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When your arrogance gets high and your accountability gets low, when your anger gets hot, then guess what's around the corner? Admonishment. Pride guarantees God's admonishment. Verse 19. The leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous. They hurried him out of the, temp- out of the, out of the, out of the temple, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, the first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, has written, So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. For they said, and and Jotham his son, became king in his place. That's the result of unchecked pride. Uzziah was a leper for the rest of his life. That was the most hideous disease known to the Jew. God has a way of cutting us down to size when we get a little too high and mighty, doesn't he? Uzziah was confined to a house separated from the world. He was cut off. A guy who once had his hand in every single thing going could no longer get involved in anything. He was excluded from the worship of the the gathering of of the temple. No church would have him, so to speak. The temple was off limits to him. The town was off limits for him. No handshakes from people. No warm, comforting embraces from people. No pats on the back from people. He treated the temple with contempt and now the favor was returned. He was disqualified from leadership. What a sad, sad place to be after all that he had done. And when he finally died, they didn't bury him in the honored place of the other kings of Judah, but only near it because he was a leper. D.L. Moody said it well when he said, God sends no one away empty except those who are already full of themselves. The conclusion to this story of Uzziah is a warning to all of us. We need to be often and much in prayer. How we all need in any time of prosperity to pray daily for humility. You know, if we succeed in our business, you know we should pray? Lord, keep me humble. If you have a healthy, growing church, if we have a healthy, growing church, we should pray the words of Scripture, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name be the glory. If you have a measure of success in our marriage, our family, our work, our ministry, or anything else, we should pray the words of David, Who am I, Lord, that thou hast brought me this far? See, Uzziah never had to finish the way that he did. All he had to do was repent and ask for God's forgiveness and he would have had it. God has always promised grace to those who come to him in faith. Psalm 34, 6 says very clearly, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Interesting thing is the name Uzziah, which also is called in the scripture Azariah, It means the Lord helps. God helps those whose hearts are broken before him. 
See, pride didn't overtake Uzziah overnight. No, no, no. It happened gradually. One little lethal drop of poison at a time. His success made him blind to God and indifferent to spiritual things. And it can happen to any one of us. It's that ever so gradual cooling of the spiritual temperature. Ever so subtle fading of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a silent and subtle, as slow as a moving shadow. One minute you're sitting in the sun enjoying the warmth and radiance, and the next you feel cool and you look up and you realize that you've been sitting in the shade for a long, long time. So let me ask you these questions before we close. Are you still seeking Jesus like you once did? So I ask myself these questions as well. Are we still feasting on the word the way you did? Are you keeping company with other believers the way you did? Are you taking time out to be quiet and alone with God? Are you sensitive, repentant, and broken-hearted about sin in your life? And the final one is, are you willing to be? See, don't ever think it's too late, because it's not. Seek the Lord while he may be found, the scripture says. Deal with pride before it paralyzes your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ was the epitome of what it means to be humble. Not weak, but knowing exactly who he was in your sight. Help us to be like that. Help us, Lord God, when we experience success or prosperity to be humble enough to acknowledge the hand from which we receive it. Let us not be like Uzziah. Let us continually remember and to seek you with all of our heart. And regardless of what happens, may we stay close to you. For that's what you've called us to do. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen.